welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. First up, we'll cover why Fulton Sheen's beatification was suddenly postponed. Then, we'll talk about Cardinal Chito Tagle's new role as head of what will soon become the Vatican's top office. Finally, we'll tell you about how Pope Francis granted an 11-year-old's dying wish. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. All right, good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, uh, Colleen. Uh, Let's get into our first story. So last week, right after our recording on Tuesday the 3rd, we learned that the long-expected beatification of Archbishop Fulton Sheen, which was supposed to happen this month, would be postponed. Jerry, before we get into that, uh, do you want to explain briefly for our listeners who Fulton Sheen was? Well, it's difficult for me at a distance to explain who Fulton Sheen was. He was an American bishop who uh, even before he became bishop became very famous for his radio and television work. And uh, he did some outstanding work. And uh, I remember I had an aunt from New York who told me she used to always listen to him. And uh, he obviously had a big Im- made a big impact on many people's lives. He, he was, uh, I think Time Magazine said, one of the first tele-evangelists in the United States. Yeah, my grandparents watched him every episode. So Sheen's beatification was postponed because the Diocese of Rochester, where Sheen was a bishop from 1966 to 1969, had raised concerns to the Vatican about his role in priest assignments and whether or not he may have reassigned priests who had abused children. Now, there are a lot of sources saying different things about when these concerns were raised versus when a date was set for the beatification, but ultimately the Vatican agreed to call it off until an investigation could be completed. Jerry, you've covered a lot of these canonizations and beatifications over the years. I'm wondering if you've ever seen this happen before, where a beatification is called off right before it's supposed to happen. Yes, it happened uh, at the end of John Paul II's pontificate. A French priest, the founder of the Dehonian order, he was called Leon Dehon, his beatification was scheduled for the 24th of April, 2005. John Paul II died at the beginning of April, and so they postponed the beatification until June of that year, 24 June. And then uh, when Cardinal Ratzinger became Pope, he received an urgent message from the Archbishop of Paris, Cardinal Lustiger, Mm -hmm. who was himself of Jewish origin, who said there was accusations of anti-Semitism in some of his writings. Now, this immediately raised problems, and Benedict XVI decided to stop the beatification to have further investigation into what uh, these accusations were. And that case still hasn't gone through, right? That case still has not gone through. It's a complicated case. Uh, we don't need to go into the details. Um, Jerry, how are these cases different? Well, each of them had had a date scheduled for the beatification. Each of them was postponed uh, for very different reasons. Here, it's a, one might say it's a question of prudence. They didn't want to beatify somebody who perhaps after the beatification, the Attorney General of New York or somebody else may say, ah, this man moved a priest whom he knew had abused children. 
there is no evidence yet that this happened. So I, I would consider it a prudential uh, decision. The Pope postponed the beatification in Dion's case, right? In Sheen's case, it's the archdiocese that was sponsoring the cause. Yes, I, I think there is another difference too. And uh, the whole uh, story around Fulton Sheen has been what somewhat unseemly. You've had a battle over where his body should be, and they move from New York to the Diocese of Peoria. Mm-hmm. You've had uh, some of the people in each diocese coming out in public, most recently in op-eds. It, it doesn't give a good image of the church when you have the churchmen battling over the question of a saint. A saint is meant to be a model of holiness for people. I remember very well, Benedict XVI said, evangelization, or in other words, the missionary work of the church is carried out through attraction. People are attracted to the church. Francis has said the same thing, quoting Benedict many times. He said, you evangelize through attraction. Certainly, if people see that there is this infighting within the church, it it doesn't attract people. So I I, I think this is the downside of all this situation. Yeah, right now we know very little about um, which cases, which priest assignments are being investigated, if any definitely are. Um, Though one Rochester newspaper speculated that there could be as many as a dozen cases here. Uh, Meanwhile, this, like you mentioned, a priest from the Diocese of Peoria who's involved in Sheen's canonization cause has called the Rochester complaints an attempt to sabotage Sheen's cause. So there's a lot going on here. Um, You can find our ongoing coverage of this story at americamagazine.org as it unfolds. our second story, this weekend, Pope Francis selected Cardinal Chito Tagle to lead the Vatican's Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples. That is the office that oversees the Church's work in much of Africa, Asia, and Oceania, which are regions that make up about a third of the Church. Jerry, we'll get to who the Cardinal is a little bit later, but first, I want to ask you, what will Cardinal Tagle's job be here? Well, it's going to be a top job, because the Congregation that's, you might call it a ministry or a department, for the evangelization of peoples is 400 years old. It was set up to oversee the missionary work of the church. First of all, in the territories where the uh, Portuguese and the Spanish conquistadores uh, had arrived, but also where the missionary orders were working. Uh, Today, it is one of the big, big congregations in the Vatican. And under the reform that is planned by Pope Francis and which is nearing its completion, this will be the number one congregation in the Vatican, the number one department, the number one ministry in the Vatican. Because Francis wants the missionary thrust of the church to be in the first place. This office also plays a role in the selection of candidates to be bishops in these dioceses, right? So this is kind of a a very influential role in terms of church leadership, too. Absolutely, because I remember I had a Japanese cardinal friend many years ago, Cardinal Hamao, and he was on the board of this congregation, and he would sit on on the board when they would look at the names of the different candidates to be bishops. And he used to always lament that the criteria are too Western. For us in Asia, these are not the criteria we would be looking for. Francis has already 
tried to change the criteria. And putting Cardinal Tagli, an Asian who has not Roman training, at the top of the congregation, he's giving a new approach, changing the culture, because the appointment of bishops in Africa, Asia, Oceania in the coming years, the areas where the church is growing, is going to be crucially important for the future of the church. Right. So this office, besides getting a new leader in Cardinal Tagle, is undergoing a lot of different changes as Francis continues to restructure the Roman Curia. Jerry, I was wondering if you could walk us through how the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples is changing. Yes. The new evangelization office was set up, I believe, at the instigation of Cardinal Scola of Milan, who was the runner-up in the last conclave. He thought something new, especially in terms of Europe and especially in terms of uh, some of the Western world where the gospel was being sidelined by secularism, he feels new, whole new work should be propelled from Rome. So they set up this pontifical council for the new evangelization. Under Francis' reform, that will no longer be a separate council. It will be part of this new Vatican congregation, new mega congregation, if you wish. But it will be the number one, the the congregation will be the number one. It will be the number one uh, department in the Vatican. I can't understate that. Yeah, that's a really big change because for so long, the top office has been the um, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And so this, this is a big shift, right? Uh, you go right back as all the modern popes, what we've known as the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, they called it the Supreme Congregation. It was the one which could really kill a, a candidate's possibilities of being made a bishop. It investigated theologians. The, the head of the office was referred to in popular terms as the Tsar of Orthodoxy. Francis is saying, our first task is to preach the gospel. And so he's putting it no longer in the first place. And then he's also highlighting the importance of dealing with the poor. So this is a very big, it'll be a very big cultural change within the Vatican, but also uh, Francis wants the culture to spread out to the churches of Asia and Africa. Right. So this change is, is much greater than just one person, just one appointment here. So let's talk a little bit about Cardinal Tagle. You know him pretty well. Um, what can you tell us about him, his background, and what he's going to bring to this office? Yes, I've known him for many years, and I've always been struck by the... He's a cardinal who's smiling almost all the time. That's true, yeah. He's a passionate man. He, he's a charismatic man. He's a scholar. He studied in the Catholic University in, in, in uh, Washington, and he is... An expert on the Second Vatican Council, he is a man that's very like Francis in many ways. As a young boy, he he, he was going he wanted to be a doctor, and then the, he met a Jesuit, and they, they, somehow they convinced him maybe you should go on for the priesthood. He's trained at the did his degrees at the Jesuit-run university in Manila, the Ateneo de Manila. And he he has been quite close to the Jesuits. His own lifestyle as a priest was that of simplicity. When he became a bishop, he didn't have a car. Like uh, Cardinal Bergoglio before he became pope, he used to go around in public transport. Uh, He'd take the 
the public transport, the jeepneys, which is kind of minibus style, and move around that way. He would invite people into, poor people in to have meal with him. In his diocese, they persuaded him, you have to have a car because you're turning up late for uh, uh, the services oh, no. because the buses uh, don't run on time. So they, they persuaded him. But he has remained this simple, very Bergoglio-like priest. Yeah, this is just one of many high-level appointments that the Pope is expected to make in the next couple of months as part of his ongoing reform of the Roman Curia. So we will, of course, keep you updated on all of those appointments here on Inside the Vatican. Jerry, our last story this week is a heartwarming one. Um, last week, an Italian reporter revealed that in 2015, Pope Francis had granted the last wish of an 11-year-old Argentinian boy who was dying of cancer. The boy was nicknamed Tomasito, and it had been his last wish to be buried near Pope Francis. So the Pope arranged to have him interred in the Vatican's Teutonic Cemetery. Um, Jerry, one thing that interested me about this story is that the Pope actually met with Tomasito and his family many times throughout his last years, though we never heard about it as the press. Um, what was their relationship like? Well, it's, it, we know uh, quite little about this. All we know that when uh, the Pope was Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he got to know this young boy. The young boy was the nephew of the secretary of his auxiliary bishop. And that's how he got to know him. He, he met him a number of times. We don't know how many. But what we do know is that he was deeply impressed by the young boy's courage, especially as he grew older and understood that his life was a terminal, he was a terminal case. Uh, he was very impressed by the, the boy's faith in God and the great courage with which he bore his sufferings. And uh, he, he said that the, he, he was also impressed by the fact that the boy's parents, who weren't married, decided to get married in church. And he said that was his miracle. Yeah, Tomasito, um, he, he had cancer for almost his entire life, right, from the time he was two until he died when he was 11. Jerry, Tomasito's ashes were buried in the Vatican several years ago. I'm wondering why we're only hearing about it now. Was it because of the wishes of the boy's family or another reason? It happens that the journalist who broke the story had a meeting with the Pope and did an interview with him. And in the course of that interview, somehow the Pope let it slip about this boy. And so the journalist noted this and then started digging for information and came up with the story. Really, from what I know, is Francis in these kind of situations, Pope Francis, he likes to keep it away from the spotlight. Are there other cases like this? Yes, I know personally, I know of other cases, uh, not, not in terms of burial, but of children who've gone and who have died, and the Pope, the way he has met the family, met the children, the, the children who were really, he knew were going to die in a short time, and he met them and he spent time with them, a lot of time. But he does not want this in the public domain. And uh, I, I know one case very well, uh, which certainly I don't intend to put in the public domain, because the parents don't want it and the Pope doesn't want it. 
Uh, why is that? It's, he feels this is a very private matter. And uh, he doesn't want the parents already have gone through terrible sufferings to see a child die. And then to have them become the spotlight under the spotlight of the media who want to ask this, that, and the other. And Francis wants to save them that Calvary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, it's a story that I was really glad to learn about this week. I found it really, really heartwarming. Um, Jerry, we have a big anniversary coming up at the end of this week. Uh, can you tell us about that? On Friday, the 13th of December, Pope Francis will be celebrating his golden jubilee as a priest. In the morning in St. Peter's Basilica, he will celebrate Mass with the Cardinals, and in the afternoon, he will go to the Jesuit Curia for the presentation of a book of the Jesuit, who was his spiritual uh, master, guru, if you wish, of not just him, but of several others, but whom he feels gave so much to him as for his priestly ministry and uh, touched on issues that have come out in his pontificate. Yeah, that that man was very influential on Francis. Um, so we'll talk next week about what happens uh, on Friday in this celebration, but I know you're looking forward to going to it, and I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Thank you, Colleen, and there's a lot more to tell our listeners next week. I'm looking forward to that. All right, looking forward to seeing you then. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Lowshirt studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next week.